by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Edify means to build up, uh, to strengthen. And tonight will be uh, part four, maintaining the wall. It's making a buzzing sound. Can you cut it down maybe just a little bit or something? <clears throat> All right. Isaiah 60, 18. I'm just going to read the second half of it tonight. It says, salvation will surround you like city walls. Say walls. See, that's what we're talking about. Last week we were talking about building the walls. Tonight, our title of our message is Maintaining the Walls, but we're going to have to recap for you, those of you who weren't here last Wednesday, or if you were here, maybe you, you forgot some of it, we're going to recap, but salvation should surround you like a city wall. What is salvation? It's the package that you received when you received Jesus as your Lord, as your covenant uh, rights as a child of God. Salvation covers everything, your health, your finances, your healing, your your peace, your sanity, everything in your life God cares about. And, and he offers salvation, mind, soul, body, and spirit to everyone. And your salvation should cover your life like city walls. Now a city without walls back in the days that they were speaking about this was in bad shape because the enemy would just come in and take what they want, kill who they wanted, and have their way. There was no stopping the enemy. Of course, our cities, we don't think of cities as having walls today, but back then it was very important. And so we're not so much talking, when we're talking about the walls of Jerusalem tonight, we're not so much talking about walls around our city. We're, we're thinking about the walls around our lives, how we're keeping out the enemy from getting into our lives, how we're keeping walls around our church, keeping the enemy out of our church, how we're trying to put walls around our family and our homes for protection against the wicked one, protection against the, the devastation that sin causes within our own homes. So understand when we're talking about walls, we're not talking about, you know, physical walls so much, but but only in the uh, in the manner that we're talking about Nehemiah here tonight. Uh we went to Nehemiah. Of course, when I think about building walls, I think about Nehemiah. He was the one most famous in the Bible for building the wall. At the time, uh, Jerusalem had been ransacked. And all, you know, the beautiful walls of Jerusalem had all been knocked down by the Babylonians. And all the people hauled off, all the people that they considered worthy of hauling off were hauled off into Babylonian exile. And Nehemiah must have been one of the ones that they considered worthy. He ended up being the cupbearer to the king Artaxerxes, which was the king uh, of Babylon at the time. Well, some people came from Jerusalem and who had recently visited and was able to speak with Nehemiah in uh, Babylon and told him, man, it's bad. I mean, the walls are torn down. The people that are living there can't have anything because the enemies are coming in and stealing everything. Uh, it, it's just really a bad situation. And so this hurt Nehemiah's heart. And we talked about last week, some of you guys 
you can see the situation in America is getting itself into. You can see it headed in the wrong direction. Maybe you see your family headed in the wrong direction, your life headed in the wrong direction. And so you begin to get concerned. What do you do when you see that? Do you just sit back and just wait for everything to explode? Well, most people do, but not Nehemiah. He answered the call. We said that he recognized that he was born to be a deliverer, a restorer, and a builder not just a cup holder to the world's ways. You know, a lot of us, we just, uh, what do you do? Well, I work down at Firestone. What do you do? I'm I'm an architect. We identify with what we do in the world. But Nehemiah saw his purpose in this life as something greater than just what he does for a paycheck. And uh, he realized he was a deliverer. He was called to be a restorer And he was called to be a builder. And guess what? You are too. You are too. You're called to be that. Whether you recognize it or not. If if you're still seeing yourself as a, a janitor or a plumber or whatever your occupation is, wake up. Look around. The fields are white to harvest. So what does Nehemiah do? He repents. Well, you might say, well, Nehemiah hasn't done anything. He's just, he's way over in Babylon. But he repents on his behalf. He repents on his family's behalf. He repents on his nation's behalf. And isn't that what we're going to do tomorrow, partly? It's a national day of prayer. Because God said, if those who are called by my name, which is us, will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and heal their land and forgive their sins? So he recognized the first thing that needs to be done. He needs to get himself right. He needs to turn from any sin he's got in his life and pray for his family and and ask for forgiveness for their sins as well. So he repents and he casts himself totally on the goodness and mercy of God. He just lays it all out and says, God, whatever you want. See, to some people that sounds like you're being vulnerable. Well, I couldn't do that. You know, that would be... You know, I got to take control of this thing, our human pride. But you can trust God. I guarantee you, you can can cast all your cares on him. You can give him everything. You can just turn yourself, cast yourself totally upon the mercy of God. See, Nehemiah knows a little bit about what the scriptures say. They didn't have the the New Testament like we did because this is before Jesus. This is Old Testament, Testament days. But he knew what the scriptures said. He knew the character of God and what, what the scriptures revealed about God and how God had said, if you will turn back to me, then I, then I will build your walls back up. I will heal you. That he had seen time and time again in the scriptures where, you know, God was, had brought them into the promised land. And when they were serving the Lord, man, they had everything that their hearts could desire. The desires of their heart were fulfilled. But every time they would turn the back on their Lord God, God would say, okay, you don't want me in this situation. The devil would come in and destroy their walls and get into their, their stuff. Then they would have to cry out to God for a deliverer. And then they, then they would come back to God. Finally, when they done got to the bottom, they would come back out again and call on God. And he, in his mercy, he would answer and he would heal them again. And see, Nehemiah knew something about God's character. He's quick to forgive. 
He's slow to anger. He's wanting to forgive. He's, look, he's the father looking over the hill for the prodigal son to come back home, isn't he? So anyway, Nehemiah, through some miracle, God works with the king and gets the king to give him all the materials and, and a force to go with him back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls. Now, you know that was God. And so he gets to Jerusalem, and he spends some time off by himself, and he looks and just, and just looks at the devastation in the town. The walls charred and broken down and park streets you can't even get through and so forth. And so some of us need to do that. Some of us need to, what do you, when you take uh, notes or you take a, uh, inventory of your life. Thank you. Some of us need to take inventory of our life and see the areas that we know we're not pleasing God and what is that costing us? Do a cost analysis, cost-benefit analysis. Is this moment of sin worth this that it's bringing into my life, the darkness? Because I can tell you, we talked about it last week, the price of sin is never worth it, ever. It, it may seem like it when you're in the fun of sin, <laughs> but when payday comes, it's a different story. You'd be wishing, oh my goodness, what was I thinking? So what does he do? Nehemiah had recognized the need for something to be done. He had repented of the sin, and so now he recruits a team, and he repairs the walls. He recognizes, repents, recruits, and repairs. See, most people want change. Most good people, they see what's happening in America, or they see what's happening in their church, or they see what's happening in their family, and they want change. Somebody's got to do something. But see, that's the problem. They're, somebody is always somebody else. And they're all waiting on somebody else to get started. Somebody needs to do something. Well, I'm going to go talk to somebody. But guess what? You are the restorer. You are the deliverer. And you are the builder. Do like this right here. It starts with me. You can recognize. You can repent. You can recruit a team. And you can repair the walls. You just got to want to. Nehemiah was nothing special. He was just available to God. Well, anyway, they get to walls, and they start to work on them. And he's got a, this ragtag crew, and he's, okay, you get over there, you get over there. I know I'm recapping, but this, we're talking about different stuff on it. But, but he gets everybody building on the walls, and soon, you know, the enemies had laughed at him when they come to build the walls. You ain't going to be able to get that. Look at that. That's crazy. You'll be years and years trying to, that ain't even worth it. But they saw the worth in it, and they started to work. And so then when the walls start to be built, then the enemy's like, we got to stop this. If they build these walls, we won't be able to go in and take what we want anymore. We won't have access to destroy their lives and get all their stuff. And that's what the devil does. But that's to be expected because the devil, he comes like a thief. But you know what? The devil doesn't bother those that he doesn't consider a threat. And so if the devil is antagonizing you, if the devil's 
trying to mock you, trying to be a naysayer about your dream, trying to stop you in every way that he can, threatening violence and everything else, just know that you must be doing something right. And you keep, keep on because Nehemiah said, all right, guys, get a weapon in one hand, work with the other hand, or strap a sword on your side and get busy. So they didn't let up a moment. They just kept working. Who said building a wall would be easy? Nobody. Nehemiah said in Nehemiah 4.14, he said, don't be afraid of the enemy. See, some, of, some people get cowered down. They're afraid to do anything for God because they know the enemy will come. But you have authority over the enemy. You've got to understand, he's under your feet. He said, don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious. How much bigger is your God? than anything the devil can throw at you. He says, and fight for your brothers. Fight for your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Is there not a cause? See, the things that we put our hand to, the things that we do for the Lord, they're important. Probably the most important things you'll ever do. But while they almost got the walls finished, then the the devil really gets concerned then. He's like, they're really going to do this. We better come up with an idea. We better deceive Nehemiah. And see, that's his main weapon, if you hadn't figured out, is just to lie to you and get you to do something stupid. And so they go to Nehemiah and they say, well, well we want to meet with you now. Maybe we can help you guys out. And they're just lying out their teeth. Come meet with us. And they come and told Nehemiah that. Nehemiah was up on the wall building. And he said, I'm doing a great work so that I cannot come down. And that's what you tell that enemy. Look, I'm doing something for God. You lump it or leave it. I don't care if it hair lips you or what. I'm not coming down. I got got to be about the Lord's business. Don't you let that devil talk you down, because you know what they were going to do? They were going to get him down off the wall, and they were going to kill him. And see, once you start a work for God... Once you come out of darkness, you're, you're over in the enemy's camp, but once you leave the enemy's camp and you repent and you give your heart to Jesus and start working for the Lord, and then the en- enemy's trying to g- get you back. But now when he gets you back, he's intent on killing you because he knows your potential over there now. You ain't working for him no more. And that's why you see a lot of people. Let's just be honest. We have seen a lot of folks that have gotten saved, And then within the year, they're dead because the enemy talked them into coming back one more time. And he got them while he had the chance. But thank goodness the Lord got them first. That's all I can say. Thank goodness the Lord got them first. Maybe the Lord let it happen because he knew that they were going to go back full-fledged. And uh, he didn't want that to happen. I don't know, but he brought them home early, but. You're doing a good work. Don't come down for the enemy. What you're doing matters. You just stay with God. He'll protect you. Keep that sword on your side, the word of God. The walls were completed in 52 days. It's like a miracle. You know, they were looking at that thinking, this this probably can never be done. If it does, it'll take another 30 years or something. But if, they, if everybody will just do their part, everybody take their section of the wall, everybody be diligent, everybody put the distractions aside and get busy building the wall, 
You can do great things in 52 days. They put the gates back on and everything. So that's just the recap. So how do we maintain the walls once they're built? That wasn't a boring recap, was it? I mean, we're building here, so I felt, felt like we had to go back and recap because we couldn't start in the middle of the, the story for some people. But, but, but we're getting an idea of what's going on. So how do we maintain? We've built the walls now. And some, you know, it's like somebody comes in here, comes down to the front, gives their heart to Jesus, starts living for the Lord, stops doing, repents of their sins, starts doing right, and maybe gets in a ministry or something, and life starts going in the right direction. You got some walls up now, and you're going in the right direction. Well, the first thing Nehemiah does is once the walls are up, he assigns people to watch the gates. I guess there's 12 gates around the city of Jerusalem, if I'm not mistaken. Or, or at least that's in heaven. I don't know about, about Jerusalem for sure. Uh, don't quote me on that one. But he's, he's, he puts people to watch the gates to make sure what's coming in and what's coming out. And that's what you need to do. I don't care how long you've been saved. You've got to watch your eye gates, what's going in. You've got to watch your mouth gate, what's going out. You've got to watch your ear gates. What are you allowing to come in? Because when you let things come through your gates and get down sunk into your heart, You've got to guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flows the issues of life. What you're putting in is what you're going to get out. You're letting darkness in, you're going to live a dark life. It's just, it's, whatsoever a man soweth, that will he also reap. You put in positive things, you get positive things out. So that, that's why you keep that sword in your hand. That's why you keep walking with the Lord. And you do this. You guard yourself, but you, you, you do it in conjunction with the Holy Spirit within you. He will guide you in all truth. He'll lead you to do the right things. He'll convict you when you're about to do the wrong things. You know, there's no temptation but such as common to man where he'll also make a way of escape. He'll give you a way of escape every time the devil tries to corner you. And so God will watch over you through the Holy Spirit that lives in you to help you do that. Maybe you need an accountability partner in your life. I know all of us Americans are so lone rangers, you know, we're, we don't let anybody in. Oh, I got this. I can do this all by myself. But some of us, it would be a wise thing for you to find a friend within the church or another believer somewhere that you can trust with your secrets and your temptations, your biggest temptations, and say, help me with this. If you're struggling with pornography or something, find another fella, guys, or, or women, find another woman and, and, and reveal your struggle and say, hey, will you help me with this? I'll help you with something. You know, let's just make sure who you confide in because that, that can go wrong too. But, you know, God will show you somebody to help you overcome. That's why it's so important that we talk about discipleship all the time. Because discipleship is what's going to help us, help us keep everything together. So once you build the walls in your life, you rebuild them or in your family, it doesn't mean that the fight is over. It just means, you, you know, you've had a big victory, but, but living in, re, in your victory is going to require diligence. Anybody ever heard of Dr. J. Vernon McGee? He's got a radio station uh, show here in, in town. He's been dead for quite some time now, but they play reruns. I, 
or either it comes from heaven directly, I'm not sure. But he, he says, eternal vigilance is the price of Christian liberty. Eternal vigilance, that means keeping an eye out, being a watchman on the wall. That means you got to watch if you want Christian freedoms. If you want to live in freedom, you got to watch. you got to pay the price to keep an eye open for it. I can't tell you how many people we've had just since I've been pastor come in here, walk the aisle, give their life to Jesus. God sets them free from addiction. God heals their marriage. God gives them the job that they needed. God restores their family. He gives them custody of their children. He does all these things, and their life is restored. And soon as they feel like everything's back right, they stop coming to church. Oh, I got this now. I just needed, you know, they just use God as like a pick-me-up. But you know what? Sin will crumble your walls the second time just as quick as it did the first time. Won't it? And the third time. And so it's, it's heartbreaking to see people leave and not get, stay hooked up. They think they got it. They're on top of it now. But the, your flesh will never be victorious in this life. Never. Jesus is the vine. We're the branches. If we disconnect ourselves from the vine, guess what? We may stay green for a couple days. But then without that life-giving juice within that vine, what happens? We dry up and we die and we ain't good for nothing but throwing in the fire. Let's turn to Nehemiah chapter 8. We're probably going to stay in Nehemiah for a while. Woo-wee. We may, probably won't get to where I wanted to get to tonight. That's all right. You know what? It'll be on next Wednesday. If, it won't, if we get raptured first, I'll, we'll just meet next Wednesday in heaven. All right, Nehemiah 8, chapter, chapter 8, verse 1. says, all the people... Assembled with a unified purpose at the square just inside the water gate. Sound like they were ready to have some choice. When you get some people together for a unified purpose, they didn't build the walls, now they didn't gather together. And they asked Ezra, the scribe, which means the priest, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given for Israel to obey. So on October 8th, Ezra the priest brought the book of the law before the assembly, which included the men and women and all the children old enough to understand. I guess maybe they had a nursery somewhere in the back too. He faced the square just inside the water gate from early morning until noon and read aloud to everyone who could understand. And all the people listened closely to the book of the law. Are you listening closely tonight? Are you ready to go from early morning to late in the afternoon? (laughs) They gave heed to the word of God. Then in verse 5 it says, Ezra stood on the platform in view of all the people, and they saw him open the book. When they saw him open the book, they rose 
to their feet. Why do you think they did that? Reverence to the Word of God. One time when I was taking up the offering, before I was pastor, I came up to take up the offering, and they got up here, and I said, I'm going to turn to so-and-so, so-and-so. Would you please rise for the reading of the Word of God? And everybody looked at me like I was crazy. I guess I'd heard it in in another denominational church or something. They do that. But I thought, why shouldn't we do that? It's the Word of God. Come on. When they saw him open the book, they all rose to their feet. They didn't have to be told. They reverenced the word of God. Then Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people chanted, Amen, Amen, which means so be it. And as they, as they lifted their hands. What is that? A sign of surrender. Amen, so be it to the word of God. I surrender to the word of God. Oh, you're talking about maintaining the walls now. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. They didn't care what their neighbor was thinking about it. They weren't concerned if it was going to make them look stupid. They got on their face and unashamedly worshiped the Lord. Down in verse 8, it said they read from the book of the law of God and clearly explained the meaning of what was being read, helping the people to understand each passage. Sort of like, that's why we get together. You could read this yourself, but we get together and we discuss it like a Bible study sometimes and helping each other understand what this is meaning. And you get something fresh every time because it's a living word. And then Nehemiah, the governor, and Ezra, the priest, and scribe, and the Levites who were interpreting for the people said to them, Don't mourn or weep on such a day as this. For today is a sacred day before the Lord your God. Why were they mourning and weeping? Well, it's only natural to feel sad when you realize how far below you've been living God's expectations for your life. It's only natural to weep when you think of all the years you wasted All the the steps you took in the wrong direction, heading away from God. But you know what? God doesn't want you to live in the past. And you know what? Which one of us hadn't taken a few steps in the wrong direction before we got here? We're all in this same boat. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all gone astray. There's none righteous. No, not one. Not one of us got it right from the beginning. Even the little kids who give their heart to Jesus early on, you know, they're, when they grow up and get to the age of accountability, they got to make it real again. They got to decide not just because the teacher told them. They got to decide, is it, do I really want to live this? Where was I at? They began, for the people had all been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Then they heard the kindness and the mercy of God, and they began to say, our forefathers did this. 
God did this for them and delivered them with a strong and mighty hand, and then they turned around and did this to God. But wait, that's what I did. So they begin to realize, man, this is, this is serious. And so they wanted to cry. But they said, no, for today is a sacred day. But I don't see where this was a sacred day before today in the scriptures there. That didn't seem like a sacred day till now. What does he mean a sacred day? Well, then Nehemiah uh, continued. He said, go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks and share the gifts of food with the people who have nothing prepared. This is a sacred day before the Lord. Don't be dejected and sad for the joy of the Lord is your strength. It's a sacred day because you guys have come back to the Lord. That's the sacred day in God's eyes. It's a day to set apart because all the angels in heaven are rejoicing when we come back to the Lord. It makes it sacred. Today, somewhere in America, people are coming back to the Lord. This is a sacred day. Don't be dejected and sad. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Your joy. You, you don't need to think about the past. Paul said this one thing I do is forgetting the past. But I press on towards the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I got to go somewhere and I need joy for the journey. Joy is gonna, what's going to give you victory next time the devil comes. You're going to laugh at him. <laughs> devil, you ain't fooling me with that again. You need joy. And the Levites, too, quieted the people, telling them, Hush, don't weep, for this is a sacred day. So the people went away to eat and drink at a festive meal, to share gifts of food, and to celebrate with great joy because they had heard God's words and understood them. Oh, how many times did I read this word before I got saved and didn't understand what I was reading? But see, today is a sacred day. Today, the day that you give your heart to Jesus and he gives his heart to you. He gives his spirit to you. And who can understand the spirit of God unless the spirit of God is in him? Then you begin to read this word. You begin to understand this word. It begins to make sense to you. Then you want to share with the others who didn't bring no food. You want to celebrate with somebody, great joy is rising up on the inside of you. You've heard God's word and you understand it's for you. They gathered together like a church. They truly worshiped the Lord. They didn't care who was looking. They weren't ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, they didn't have Jesus back then, but... In our days, that's what we'd say. They weren't ashamed of the gospel, the good news about God. They read God's word, and they gave it their undivided attention. They weren't so dory like us. Anybody see that movie? Is their attention span about that long? They gave it undivided attention, and they studied together. Until they understood it because it was important to them. They, they, you know there's people in China right now would, would trade you their right arm for your Bible? 
There's people in this world right now, or whole villages are sharing a page of the Bible. And you got 12 of them at your house right now. They encouraged one another. They learned to share, celebrate, and stir up joy for the journey. Then in verse 13, it says, on October 9th, when is this? It's the next day. Remember, all that other stuff happened the day before, on October 8th. The very next day, the family leaders of all the people, together with the priests and the Levites, which were the ministry people, they met with Ezra the scribe, which is the priest, to go over the law in greater detail. So all the leaders get together, and they say, we got to understand this if we're going to lead the people into God's will. We got to begin to understand what God's trying to say to us. We got to study this out to help God's people. We got to begin to pray and say, God, what do you want us to do? Maybe we need to throw up some banners. I don't know if they had banners in the day, but maybe you need to hear from God where you're going and how you're getting there and why you're going and where you're going. And see, that's all we're doing here. We're building up walls and, 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 and we're finding out our purpose and we're celebrating and we're sharing with other people. And it's bringing great joy. I wrote this and don't laugh. People permeated with purpose are too passionate not to progress powerfully. I don't know why I do that. I just, I always have to make some big deal out of it. But people permeated with purpose are too passionate not to progress powerfully. When you have purpose, there ain't nobody can talk you out of it. You ain't going to have no more down Mondays and gloomy Tuesdays and such. Because your purpose is always out there and you're always after it. And every day is a new chapter. Every day is a, a new opportunity to make progress in the things of God. And it will sustain and fulfill you and make you whole as a person to have purpose like that. To know that God has ordained you. God has called you. God has brought you out of darkness and into the kingdom of his dear son with purpose. With a plan. To allow you to be part of the end time harvest. We look at ourselves as ants, grasshoppers. David says, what is man that thou art mindful of me? Why are you even thinking about me, God? What did I do? You can't use me. I'm just one of six billion down here. And God said, oh, no, son. I used Nehemiah. I used a donkey one time because nobody else would. Don't make God use a donkey. Sounds like a commercial. Get cable. No. Don't make God use a donkey. Where was I at? Okay. Next thing they did, I'm not going to get to where I want to get, but we're going to close here in a minute. They celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles. 
Those leaders got in the Word of God, and they realized, oh, oh, it says right here, this time of year, we're supposed to have a Feast of Tabernacles. We didn't know. We had no idea what God was wanting to do. And maybe you're here tonight, and you're saying, well, I need to repent, and I need to do all these things. I need to get started, but I have no idea what to do. Well, get in that Word. It'll begin to show you. He says, There's, we need to be celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles. You know what that is? It's a church camping trip. Sounds like to me. That's when everybody left their homes and they went and built, built little shelters to live in for a week or so. It's a camping trip. woo Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. Every year you go down to Ark of Butler and camp together before we have our picnic, church in the park. I think it's starting to sound like we need to do a big church camp out. I'm ready. Well, I could use a good camp out. It was a great time of celebration and relationship building. Just like this last Sunday at the park. Man, when we was waiting in line for food, there was this one guy here. I, I can't exactly remember his name. I'm Breeland or Bre something. And uh, anyway, nice guy. He said he'd been coming a couple weeks, and I was talking to him, getting to know him for the first time. And old Jerry Walker back there in the back comes walking up. You know, and I say, Jerry, this is, what was his name? You remember? Bre We're bad with names. Breland or something like that. Keegan. That was it. Was it? Keaton. That's right. Keaton, redhead. Okay, Keaton was talking with Jerry Walker, and they kept talking, and I'm like, the line's moving. <laughs> and they're just still talking. I'm like, the line's moving, and I'm getting hungry, and they're still over there. See y'all. I went and got my food, sat down, ate, went around the whole campsite, talked to everybody twice, and I looked over there, and Jerry and Keaton was still over there talking. I don't even, did y'all even eat? They didn't even eat. Now that is what it's all about. Bonding. Learn his name, Jerry. <laughs> See? See, nothing warms my heart as a pastor more than seeing you guys bond together and make lasting friendships and, and people that you can do life. That's what it's all about. <clears throat> Nehemiah 8.17 says, So everyone who had returned from captivity lived in these shelters or tents during the festival. And they were all filled with great joy. The Israelites had not celebrated like this since the days of Joshua, son of Nun. And that was back when they took the promised land for the first time. And this is many, many, many years after that. So this was a great celebration. And fellowship with other believers may not sound spiritual to some really religious folks, but it is. It is one of the most spiritual things you can do. That's what God is all about. He is into fellowship with you, and he's into you fellowshipping with others. It says so in the Great Commission and the Great Commandment, to love the Lord your God, fellowship with him, to love your neighbors yourself, fellowship with them. We'll go ahead and close in Nehemiah 9, verse 1. It says, on October 31st, now, what is this? It was October 9th last time. This is a couple weeks later, right? Not even a, a full month later. The people assembled again, and this time they fasted, and they dressed in burlap and sprinkled dust on their head. That's a sign of mourning. That's a sign that you're, you're repenting. 
Those Israelite descent of descent separated themselves from all foreigners as they confessed their own sins and the sins of their ancestors. See, sometimes when you have some time to grow closer to God, your sins become more evident to you. The closer you get to a holy God, the more you realize your sinful nature. And I'm not sure this was, wasn't a healthy thing here. They wanted to get some things out. So they clothed themselves in sackcloth and ashes, and they were upset at the way they had been and the lives that they had wasted. And so they got together. They remained standing in place for three hours. And y'all get on me for going an hour and a half. They remained standing in place for three hours while the book of the law of the Lord, their God, was read aloud to them. They were hungry. Then for three more hours, they confessed their sins and worshiped the Lord God. Boy, if you got three hours worth of sins, you're in trouble. <laughs> but God can forgive everyone. <laughs> you know, some people today, in, in this greasy grace that's preached a lot, try to say, you know, we don't have to repent of our sins anymore. Jesus forgave our sins, and they're under the blood. And it's insulting to God to bring them back up. And I see what they're getting at if God is just some far-off machine or something with no feelings, but that's not the God that I see. Yes, Jesus did forgive all our sins, past, present, and future. They are under the blood. But when I commit a new one for relationship's sake, if nothing else, I need to say I'm sorry. I mean, me and you could have been good for years, but if I did something to you, then I should say I'm sorry even if I know you already forgiven me. And so it, it also helps you to understand the importance. That's one of those things that helps keep your gates right, knowing that you don't want to have to go before God and have to apologize. You don't want to hurt him. You want to keep your relationship clean. Now, what, when did we talk about that? Something, we talked about, oh, that muddy ark of butler, you know, swimming in that muddy ark of butler, how it, it sullies the, the glory of God in your life. And so we don't want sin. And it was to Christians that John wrote 1 John 1, 9 when he says that if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. See, that's just the way it works. We never get to a place where we're so holy that we don't have to tell God we're sorry. I don't see how they say that helps your relationship with him. It hurts his feelings if you bring your sins up. Sometimes people overthink some stuff. I mean, the whole Bible is full of people repenting towards God, and it's always been a good thing. It's always been a good thing for you to keep your heart right before God. So if you believe that way and you've listened to that kind of teaching, I don't mean to offend you, but that's the way I see it. Oh, I... I wanted to read some scripture, but we're going we're gonna to wrap it up. I was going to keep you on your feet for three hours. But we'll recap with this. Watch your gates. Your walls can be toppled again when sin is your friend. Stay in church. Now, I'm giving you some advice. I'm a, I need to slow down. I, I need to give you this advice because these are the things that will cause you never to backslide again. 
These are things we just read in this story. God has hidden these things in every story pretty much in the Bible. These are the, the basics. Watch your gates, what goes in, what goes out. Stay in church because that's what God is doing on the earth. Give the word of God first place in your life. Give it your undivided attention. See it for what it is, the truth that will set you free. Worship the Lord with your very life. Understanding that, that you are a reflection of God. And you would not want to bring shame on the Lord. Build a true relationship with Him. And that is the foundation of everything. Because like we said, if you break off from the relationship, you're, you're, never, going to, you're never going to do any of this. Your willpower alone will never get you to where God is trying to bring you. You have to stay hooked up and you've got to know him. That is the most important thing. All these other things fall in line when he's in the middle of your life, right? So to get to know him, a true relationship, that, that requires you to learn to pray without ceasing. That doesn't mean you're always, okay, God, um, this, 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 this. You're not having to talk to him all the time, but you, you're keeping the line of communication open. And when you've got to come to a decision in your life, should I take this job or should I take that one? Lord, what should I do? You're talking to him. You're not alone in there. If you've been born again, his spirit resides in you. Don't just leave him out of the conversation. So work on a true relationship and pray without ceasing. Keep a line of communication open and encourage one another because that's what the church does. Stir up each other's joy. Help each other through the hard times. Be a passionate pursuer of your purpose. Remember all those P words that I used? And be excited about the church's vision because the church is what he's building. And that's your vision. This one's important. Go camping together. Woo! <laughs> Get to know one another. Get to know one another. Be quick to repent. If you've done something wrong, don't run from him. That's so foolish. Always run to him. He knows. And you can't get away from him over there because he's over there too. Recognize God's greatness and, and boldly declare it to the world. And make a solemn promise before the Lord today. As much as within me, Lord, I'm going to follow your commandments. Because that's what they do next, and we'll get to that next week. I thought we'd finished up on the book of Nehemiah, but we didn't get very far tonight. But we're going to talk about how they made a solemn promise. What did they promise to the Lord? And what are the other things? Then there was an, another a sneak attack from the enemy that we'll talk about next week that we got to watch for. But it's funny how God can use an Old Testament situation as an example for our modern-day lives. And that the word is so multi-leveled that all you got to do is get in there and say, God, what do you want to teach me? And, and if you'll come with an open heart like that, he'll rock your world. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. 
For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Thank you.